Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast, episode 37, the one about is it too late to start YouTube, writing prompts, best webcams, and the game. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back for more news, tech content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me, man on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the Marketing and Finance Podcast and the author of Cats, Mats, and Marketing Plans, I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, hello everyone and thanks for watching. And my co-host is also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much, Roger, for this introduction. Episode 37. 37. <laughs> it's not It's not going to be long before we get to the magic 50. I know. I'm telling you. Very much looking forward to it. So for our viewers and listeners, thank you so much for your ongoing support. We got some lovely thank yous and well done messages as well from some of our recent shoutouts from Content Spotlights and the Creator Shoutout segment. So yeah, it just feels nice to... Roger and I really enjoy recording these weekly sessions. It gives us the routine to keep in touch with each other and research, obviously, ways to make sure sure your marketing is done right so as we've done so far for 37 episodes let's begin yep. with in the news nearly half of consumers are put off by brands who repeatedly show the same ad or creative message according to research by loop me mm. well volvo is increasing its online marketing efforts alongside the deployment of digital customer services the results a 15 percent increase in sales of new cars in the first quarter of 2021 neutrogena officially launched its first content studio to produce original programming such as the short documentary In the Sun to showcase the long-term effects of sun exposure on the skin. According to MarketingDive.com, Spotify acquired Betty Labs, the creators of the live audio app Locker Rooms, to compete against other apps such as, you've guessed it, Clubhouse. <laughs> Rebel Kitchen is promoting its coconut water product as a chance to taste holiday flavours despite the travel restrictions and calling the virus a massive git or king idiot. Well, it is. At the recent Microsoft Ignite conference, Microsoft Teams announced they are taking on the webinar industry, Roger, with the release of new tools to create an end-to-end -end experience for organizers and attendees. And the UK government has established the Digital Markets Unit, Unit, DMU, as part of the Competition and Markets Authority to stop big technology companies abusing their market dominance. And finally, Kraft Heinz ran a social media contest to win a limited edition official of the coming mayonnaise phobia kit. Participants <laughs> could also watch a 90-second video of a mock expert describing a four-step program on how to overcome hashtag mayophobia. So does that mean that there are some people out there who are frightened of mayonnaise? Well, I think that was just a wonderful way in which to keep uh, marketing a product by creating a false uh, phobia and a false camp well, a real campaign based on a false phobia. Well, I mean, you know, I can understand why people are frightened of spiders or people <laughs> might be frightened of sharks or people might be frightened of polar bears, but mayonnaise i don't particularly like mayonnaise i have to say but i'm not frightened of it well maybe you should take part in a four-step program uh, <laughs> i am obviously very fond of mayonnaise i put a mayonnaise on everything including bacon sarnies much to denise's obviously uh, d disdain but um it has to be you french don't put mayonnaise. it on chips do you yes I do, do. you put it on chips oh 
Yeah, there you go. My mother used to put mayonnaise on chips. Good. Maybe I am frightened of mayonnaise, actually, Pascal. <laughs> but moving on to more obviously serious matters, um, we have a new acronym, the one that I welcome, DMU, the Digital Markets Unit. That's a good news, yeah? Well, you know, there's there's been all sorts of talk, hasn't there, about the big tech companies potentially dodging tax and you know, abusing our data and all sorts of all sorts of incandescent things going on. And, and you know, sometimes you see the leaders of these organisations be, being uh, interrogated by Congress in America. And sometimes they have this sort of, "Hey, I'm just so powerful," swagger about them. And yeah, I think maybe we do need somebody to keep an eye on them. I, I mean. I would say it's a little late, but not too late. And I hope that they're going to have teeth, you know, to really make sure that there is an impact on the many uh, kind of issues you, you've mentioned. But it was only a matter of time because, of course, you had the little kerfuffle in Australia. You had, of course, the uh, EU themselves putting, you know, pressures in and around the use of news and, and aggregation. So, yeah, and, and I think also it's important that for us as users and marketers, we, we have more options. I mean, surely we've, we've got to realize that we can't just have a marketing campaign just dominated by a Facebook advertising campaign or just doing things on youtube there has to have options back in the days you know if you remember before the internet roger we had options in terms of magazines and radio stations mm. and tv mm. channels yeah and there, there's always this feeling as it's almost like david and goliath isn't it these gigantic corporations and and the 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 little the little smaller companies the one-man bands people like us you know the inland revenue will go after us for mm. a few thousand pounds of tax and you think well why aren't you going after these big corporations for multi-millions of tax and the the, the the um, data protection thing that came in in, in 2018, um, the, I can't even remember, GDPR, you know, I've heard stories of them going after smaller businesses and yet some of these bigger organisations seem to get away almost scot-free with their mishandling of data. So I think there has to be equality across the board. Smashing. Well, we'll keep an eye on, obviously, how the DMU kind of manifests itself out there. Of course, Rebel Kitchen, true to, obviously, their values and their marketing, calling you know the virus colourful names. But that's in nature of the beast. And that's what I like about the news today is every single brand has really nailed the way in which they can market themselves from Volvo to Neutrogena. Yeah, I thought that made me laugh. Massive git. <laughs> and I actually looked at King Idiot at first and I must be getting old because I didn't actually quite cotton on as to what that that meant at first. But the one one of the ones that caught my eye this week, Pascal, was the first one. You know, about half of consumers are put off by brands who repeatedly show the same ad. Uh, I mean, this this is interesting because I'm sure we've said on the show before that sometimes in the past, you know, an advert will run, and I'm thinking maybe you know the TV ads like um, For Mash Gets Smash and the Flake adverts and the Guinness adverts, and there was always that tension, wasn't there? Because the marketing teams behind them have spent so long researching and shooting and putting these ads together that they're always desperate to move on to the next thing. But there's always been this idea well actually no the consumer's happy with these adverts and, and will be happy to let them run for many many years maybe that has changed now maybe people are sick of things 
a lot quicker. Or or maybe it's because we see adverts more often when, than we think. I was just thinking last night, you know, you watch a YouTube video and quite often you have to wait that five seconds at the beginning and then you skip the ad, don't you? And then if it's a video that's more than eight minutes, then the adverts come up every whatever it is, two minutes, three minutes. And what I've discovered recently, Pascal, is that it's often exactly the same advert all the time. So you have to wait five seconds at the start, skip it, and then three minutes in, the start, same advert starts again. You wait five seconds, skip it, and then three minutes later, you, you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm always thinking, well, for goodness sake, show me the next 15 seconds of the advert rather than the first, because it, because at least then it would be something a little bit different. Of course, I don't want to watch it all. That's why I skip it, YouTube, hint, hint. Absolutely. But your point about this idea of, I've seen it already. So I think with regard to targeting using AI and everything else that, you know, they, 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 they say they have in their arsenal, just be smarter. I mean, if you and I have watched the same advert 10 times over the last few days on YouTube, just rotate and maybe bring it back in a week or so time. And, and I think for me, it's just this idea of, you know, there are some adverts that well, we enjoy the repetition because the execution is just so good. And you mentioned a, f a few moments ago. And others, frankly, just sales pitch. You know, they try to make it to the sell. So I've seen it two or three times already. I've clearly, I'm not interested. Stop showing it to me. You've got <laughs> the, way, the ways and means to, to make this kind of behavior happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, Microsoft Teams. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? So mm. they, they were very, very light in terms of uh, whether there would be additional cost. But if you have the Microsoft 365 license, are they saying that in the near future, there was no data obviously revealed at a conference, Roger, you're going to have literally a webinar platform at your fingertips? Yeah, I mean, that could be quite interesting, especially for those of us who do subscribe, as you say, to the, to the Microsoft um, 365 Office package. The, the small tension for me is that I'm not a fan of Microsoft Teams as, uh, <laughs> as a as an attendee of of video meetings with my clients. I just I just feel that it's lacking a lot of features, and, and Zoom is not perfect, far from it. But I think it's an easier one to use. But I'm prepared to give it a go once to have a webinar solution, uh, and they, they are I promising. One thing I've noticed about uh, Microsoft Teams recently is every time I finish a Microsoft Teams meeting, a little th uh, placard comes up to say, congratulations on hosting your first Microsoft Teams meeting. And I'm, say I'm looking at this and thinking, that must be the 500th Microsoft Teams <laughs> meeting I've had this year. So what's going on with that? <laughs> Absolutely. So, well, we, we shall report back in the, in the news section for all of you, but... Um, well, I will say, Roger, just to close on that, if Microsoft, Microsoft Teams are thinking of, of doing a webinar solution, then all the other platforms are going to follow through. So are we going to see, for example, uh, Facebook? Are we going to see uh, people like um, other platforms that uh, I can't think of right now to say, hang on a minute, you know, what about us? We, we're going to lose out. Yeah, well, you can absolutely guarantee that Instagram will copy it, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Well, on that point, let's move on and slow things down with the content spotlights. Now, in this segment, Roger and I surprise each other with a discovery from the Intuab, an article, a podcast, a video, something that helps us think through how, again, we can do better things with our marketing. So, Roger, what have you got for us this week? 
Well, Pascal, this week I've got an article for you, and the headline of the article is Five Common Presentation Shortfalls and How to Fix Them. And it's by Saad Belder from the Entrepreneur website. Now, this caught my eye, Pascal, because uh, a few of my clients recently have been asking about presentations and how to improve them and how to uh, how to come up with you know really strong openings to presentations and structure and and so i've been thinking through quite a few of these issues and a, and a while back I, I i wrote a an ebook about the subject of how to put together a remarkable talk and that's why this particular article grabbed my attention because it talks about quite a few of the same sort of things but i just quite like the way that Saad had actually set it out so i'm going to go through this very 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 briefly and again you know i i apologize to people who are listening who might think that some of this sounds pretty basic but you know i do think that from time to time we have to be reminded of the basics because you know i crusade all the time for simplicity but even i find myself veering into complexity from time to time and i think that sometimes you do need to go back to basics so the first one is a lack of a clear goal now in the ebook that i've written this is a massive massively important one and the more i think about this the more i think that this is a big problem that a lot of people have when they put together presentations now it could be that you know a conference producer event um, producer has approached you and said we're doing a marketing conference we'd like you to talk about twitter and you say oh yeah great negotiate a price or whatever it might be and you're set up and then on the day you do a presentation on twitter and it's not quite what they had in mind and the reason is and it's probably a a two-way issue is that you didn't talk a little bit more about exactly what they wanted you to talk about regarding Twitter. They didn't set the goal for the presentation. What is the audience going to get out of it? Is there a mindset shift that you want the audience to experience as a result of listening to your talk? Do you want them to sign up to something? Do you want them to believe something new? And and it sounds obvious when you talk about it, but actually so many t- of so much of the time you don't actually write it down you don't actually articulate it and i remember when i used to work in big corporate you know my boss would say oh we're having um uh, executive team meeting on monday can you do me a few slides and come and talk about where we are with the marketing plan now again that sounds like a person per- perfectly reasonable response but what is the aim of that are we trying to sell them that we we're not spending enough money on marketing or it's not being successful or it is being successful or we're achieving our goals and exceeding them so again write it down the clear goal of the presentation and to keep it simple you probably only want to have one major takeaway for i would say a 20 to half an hour talk number two is a messy structure and i think a lot of the time messy structures and Saad says this in the article comes from starting the presentation by going straight to powerpoint uh, and, and a lot of us do that i've done that in the past it, it took a uh, an exploding projector to, to effectively <laughs> wean me off powerpoint but you know if you start with the powerpoint slides you sort of maybe sort of veer all over the place and you don't actually um you don't actually come up with a decent structure because your focus is on producing the slides so if you've done number one and you've got your goal 
then actually a structure could be that you know you introduce the topic you tell a story and then you summarize it that's quite a nice structure it could be that if your goal is slightly larger and there's a few components to it you might segment that into three sub goals and for each of those sub goals you might have a story to tell and a call to action but again it's worth making sure that you have that structure rather than just piling it all into a load of slides. And you know me, Pascal, now I'm a massive fan of doing the entire presentation first and, and leaving the slides, if, if you do slides at all, until the very end. Number three, kill the detail. Again, this is what Side's saying is a lot of the time you overload the, the presentation with far too much. But again, if you've set your goal, it should guide you as to how much detail to include. You know, we've all been to presentations where somebody puts up a slide with loads of graphs on and loads of data, and that might be very interesting, but you've got to keep people's attention. If you overload them too much, especially in the modern world now when a lot of presentations, if not all presentations, are happening online as opposed to in person, we've got to make sure we don't overload the audience so they don't take away anything. Number four, oh, you'll understand why this one fits with my viewpoint. Avoid using jargon. And again, so important, we all lapse into jargon all the time. You know, we, we had an interesting conversation earlier in the week about elevator pitches. You know, elevator pitches is a, is a common thing that we all say, but what on earth does it actually mean? Uh, so let's try to make the presentation simple, easy to understand with a goal and no jargon. And the final one is try to tell stories instead of just dumping information and you know you and i are big big fans of stories we love our films obviously which are massive stories in themselves and what side's saying here is you know it's not just getting up there and telling the story of star wars or something like that you still have to have the goal in mind you've set at the beginning and maybe you've split it into the three sub goals that i mentioned before but each of those could have a story that goes with it to illustrate the goal, to illustrate the meaning, to illustrate the call to action, as opposed to just telling a story for the sake of, of um, telling a story. And then he just boils it down into a few things that you would expect, like the hero's journey. You talk about the hero's journey so often, Pascal. I remember one of the first times we met, you were doing mm -hmm. a presentation about the hero's journey. Do you share a personal story? Do you get emotional? And then creating contrast and conflict and all of those useful storytelling tips. So that's it. it it's a really short article, simple, but again, it's just reinforcing, I think, some of those things that perhaps if you're putting presentations together all the time, you forget. And it's always good to be reminded of the basics. Your point is absolutely right, whether you're a veteran of the small screen or you know, a small stage, but also new to it. What I have found over the years, Roger, is this strange dichotomy between it takes longer to create a simple presentation, if that makes any sense. So yeah. you could quickly get your head around throwing lots of slides together with stats and graphs and 
uh, you know, iconography and all sorts. You could really put together quite a complex presentation rapidly. But actually, it's in the in the editing then, almost like doing video editing, when you have to take things out, then you have to go back and connect with the storytelling element. It takes a lot longer to create what would be to the uninformed uh, in, a simple presentation. So back to your point number one, where organizers can be kinder to their kind of... Um, speakers and trainers whatever the event is give everybody more time to understand the goal to understand the audience but also to craft the presentation that's going to hit the mark so no i, I just love it uh, and you're right you know we can sometime uh are, are can be guilty of seeking the new solution or the new way or doing things when in fact the basics are absolutely fine yeah uh, and i think that you know whilst this article is written with the speaker in mind I think that number one point, the goal, is very important for event provide uh, event professionals, event organisers to bear in mind. Because I often think that they of they often just say, "We would like you to do a speech on something," and then that's the end of the conversation. And that's often the reason why both sides think that the, the speech didn't hit the mark because they haven't been absolutely specific on what they want the audience to get out of it. I remember one of the um, best and early advice I got as I was becoming a speaker. Um, I'm a bit like your thing was more accidental. I, I didn't plan to speak, but uh, it's what happens with the evolution of your your knowledge and practices. And I was told by somebody, you know, try and use uh, where it's appropriate the term "for example." Or which means that, and if you yes. can always even just use them as little reminders that unless you've given an example, or you give an example, then you have to conclude with uh, the takeaway action, which means that then you may have some gaps in, in your presentation, which I think is very important. Absolutely. So, Pascal, what have you got for me this week? Well, this week I've gone back to the video format again, um, Roger, and it is a video that's been produced by the team at Think Media, presented by Sean Cannell. Sean is the CEO uh. and founder of Think Media, who also, I believe, run Think Marketing. So Think Media, for those of you who don't know, are a, a organization providing training consultancy on video marketing and YouTube growth. They publish weekly videos on the tech, on the, the techniques to record videos, but also YouTube uh, kind of um, tactics that can really make a difference to your business. And really, uh, the team, I think media, are doing an amazing job, Roger. So I dip in and out of, of their content because I think on, on occasion, well, I've got other things to be getting on with, but somehow, <laughs> which I think must be to do with algorithms, uh, the this video reached me. So the title is, Is It Too Late to Start YouTube in 2021? Yes and no, and here's why. And Sean Cannell essentially present a, a great video. So there, there are two reasons why I would encourage people to click on the link below in the show notes. Number one, watch the video once and study how it has been crafted because in itself, it is a lesson on how to do a good talking head video because talking heads are tricky, Roger, yeah, because there's only one person talking away to the camera. This one is about a quarter of an hour. And back to your earlier comment about structure, about goals and, and storytelling, I think you would learn a lot about how to do something visually interesting because you'll find that, you know, we switch from Sean talking to different angles of him talking, but also we have cutaways to stock footage, to slides, to graphics, and so on and so forth. So there's something really interesting about how it's been put, pulled together. So that's number one reason. Number two, because I think it has obviously a great message. So 
the, the question, as you remember from the title, is it too late to start YouTube in 2021? And his point is quoting Henry Ford saying, well, whether you think you, you are or whether you think you're not, you are right in both instances. Mm. And the whole video really is about a mindset, which is something that you and I tackle a lot with our customers who want to become obviously uh, confident content creators, not just competent. And there is that inner monologue, that inner voice that gets in a way. And what Sean is doing this video is a bit of tough love, I believe, and is asking people to stop complaining about what they could have done or should have done and just get on with it. Then he goes into asking us of the question, so why is it that you're still so hesitant or why are you trying to convince yourself that maybe it's too late? And it's asking the, the, the question whether or not we're not making excuses. So for example, he's saying, can you stop saying, I don't know how to do videos? What he's arguing is that in 2021, if you don't know how to go on Google, YouTube for that matter, and learn from great people, including Think Media, but also you and I and many others out there that we mentioned in, in Content Spotlights and Creator Shoutouts, then you really have misunderstood the times you live in. Your mobile phone is access to the world, a world of knowledge. So saying, I don't know how is an excuse no longer valid nowadays. Stop saying, I don't have a good idea and there is too much competition. Ideas are all good, and the fact that this competition is a sign that clearly the subject matter you want to tackle is of interest. So take this as a hint. Stop saying, I don't have enough time. Stop saying, I don't have enough followers. Stop saying, I'm too old. And stop saying, I don't have enough money. At that point, he, he, he can spend time to say, this is not about resources, this is about resourcefulness. And you know my view, Roger Band, you should undertake your content creation, no matter whether it's a written form or video form, as an indie filmmaker. There's never enough money, there's never enough time, there's never enough resources, and yet you're making it happen. The final thing really is asking whether the biggest obstacle and the biggest fear for all of us out there is the opinion of others and whether we are making this such a big thing that we are stopping ourselves and clearly our audience from consuming amazing content. So his closing remark, and again, you know, I would encourage people to watch the video to really enjoy the full kind of deliberations and an argument, his final remark is punch fear in the face, punch perfectionism in the face and press record. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> As listeners of this show know, Pascal and I don't tell each other what uh, content we're going to pick for this part of the show. But I have to admit, Pascal, I came across this uh, this video this week, and I did consider did you? <laughs> putting this forward as my content right. spotlight. So I have actually seen this. Uh, and then, of course, when I saw the show notes and saw that you'd already picked it, I quickly um, veered off in a different direction but it's hard to disagree with everything anything that sean says here but we do see it from time to time in in all walks of life you know i i have some of my clients who are thinking about starting podcasts for example you know some of my financial services clients will say well what's the point in another podcast you know you do your marketing and finance podcast pete matthew does his meaningful money podcast um, Andy um, Hart does um, the uh, the Maven Money podcast. There's no room for another one, and that's an excuse, isn't it? it the, if you project your own personality and you find your own spin on something, and you and you have the ability to put a, 
point across, then you might find an audience. It's not an, it's not a reason to to not do it. And this is the same with video. Yeah, I haven't got the right camera. I haven't got the right lighting. I haven't got the right ideas. Those are excuses. If you've got a story to tell, you know, as you say, just get it done. Press the damn button, as, as Brian Fanzo would say. Interestingly enough, you know, the argument that a lot of people, oh, you know, I just don't have the right camera. YouTube's been going for what now? 10, 15 years? Well, it was launched in 2005, yeah. 2005. So just think about the quality of the cameras that people were using when YouTube started. You know, we didn't have HD 4K cameras back in those days on phones, but people were still putting out decent content. So the technology is always an excuse. So I would agree, Pascal, just press the damn button. Now, and do you know what's lovely about this um, video? It it relates to all form of content. As you mentioned, it could be podcasting, it could be blogging, it could be the, the, your next ebook, your next kind of infographic. And it's only natural to have that inner monologue and those doubts. We're only human after all. But it's about, you know, just working your way through that those fears and getting on with it. I'm sure that we, you and I could watch videos from Sean Cannell and his colleagues from years ago, and they themselves would say, well, yeah, it's much better now, but we had to yeah. go through the, the, the learning curve. And, and I think this, this idea that the first article you're going to write ever or the first video or the first podcast is going to be great, unfortunately, it won't be. It will be adequate. I don't think it would be bad. I think people sometimes worry about doing bad content. I don't think that's possible if you're passionate about what you do and you are generally creating honest and uh, advice. You know, you don't kind of don't mislead people. So, so I think it's just about this idea of hear the voice, but ignore it and get on with it. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Smashing. Well, thanks again again for your selection today. Well, let's move on to marketing tech and apps. Let's do it. So, Roger, what have you got for us this week that can make life easier as a content marketer? Pascal, over the last few weeks, I've sort of gone down the writing route. Um, and the reason, the original reason was that I, I just had a few articles that needed writing, as I said to you, for some trade magazines. And I just started looking for writing tools and last week uh, one of the things I was talking about was where to get ideas so I decided that I would try to find a tool that I've been trying to find for a while and I have to say unfortunately I failed to find it I just can't remember exactly what it's called and Google hasn't helped which is which is unusual but for anybody who can help um, it's it's a writing ideas tool that comes in the form of about five dice and the dice have pictures on each of the six sides. And the idea is you throw the dice and the five pictures that you, that, that you end up getting from the five dice are story prompts or ideas for putting together articles, videos, or whatever it might be. I just can't find it. But I did come across some interesting alternatives instead. And in fact, this first one is one of the most basic websites I've ever seen. It's just just literally text and a few links, but it's an absolute rabbit hole that you can go down. So it's called writingexercises.co.uk. I mean, even the name of the website isn't particularly inspiring, but oh my goodness, they've got some incredible stuff going on in here. And 
you know, my, my intention was just to find a writing prompts website, but I spent <laughs> probably far too long just playing around with this website. So it does things like random first line prompts. So how to generate a random first line for a story or a random subject. And it even goes into, there's one which is a quick plot generator. Now, again, we've said before about the hero's journey and stuff like, if you're actually into writing stories, this is, is really, really quite interesting. And, and I'll, I'll just go into the quick plot generator here just to, just to sort of have a look. So I've pressed the button and it's come up with your main character is a man in his 80s who's very compassionate. The story begins in an aeroplane. Someone hitches a ride home during a train strike. It's a story about greed. Your character bites off more than he or she can chew. Now, <laughs> you know, that, that's totally random, but it does make you start thinking about things. Now, okay, this this the idea here is probably for people who are trying to write fiction, but, you know, again, it might it might prompt you to remember something that happened in your business life you know someone hitches a ride home during a train strike i've done that you know it might have reminded me of a situation from my past which i can turn into a story and include that story into the aforementioned presentation that we were putting together in the previous section and i mean the, literally there are about 35 40 different things that this can do so take three nouns random first line of dialogue, random scenarios, rhyming dictionary, story title ideas, character generation, you know, just coming up with character ideas, and then ones that you can, it can base around famous film plots. I'm not going to go on and on and on about this. You get the idea. If you're looking for ideas for stories and for writing, and, and you know, some people find it very therapeutic to spend 15 to 20 minutes in the morning just writing this is a really good thing to give you that spark of inspiration that might just get you putting stuff down on paper or typing it up on screen can i just say roger sorry to interrupt there that this is far more interesting and appealing to me and many of our user listeners than your typical keyword research tool right i mean oh, just absolutely. to come up with you said to come up with an idea to remember an event that happened in, in your business life that can then trigger that thought to create the next article uh, well done this is a great great find yeah I, I absolutely love it um so the second one it it it, it initially i thought actually I, i'm going to pass this one by because it actually looks very very similar to what i've just talked about and this one is called vocal dot media but what made me stay on this page is that even though it offers a similar sort of resource and, and i have to say this particular website looks more like a, a traditional modern website so it's got lots of photos on it it's got um pictures and articles and, and buttons to press and stuff like that and it will give you the prompts that you might need but what really caught my attention for this one is that they, ha they have a challenges section and the challenges are effectively open challenges that you can enter your writing whether it's fiction or business with a chance to win money and for for example, there's about one, two, three, four, five, about six competitions that are open at the moment. The first one is thrift finds. Show off and share your thrift shop treasures. Can hardly say that's a bit of a tongue twister, but a thousand dollars grand prize. Um, there's another one about 
write a story about your first date. Most of us could do that, probably, and it would probably be a story of disaster, but $5,000 first prize. Um, I, I, I mean, this is this has just taken me off down a little bit of a of a tangent this week, and you know, I, I'm not a fiction writer, uh, although maybe when I was younger, I might have had ambitions to do it. But I just love the idea of being prompted, and then if you're actually really really inspired to write something, you may as well enter it into one of these competitions because you never know. You've probably got more chance of winning something like that than you have the lottery. Well, I know you're disappointed you've not found what you were looking for, but those two discoveries are just stunning. And it almost acts back to my uh, comment earlier about the video from uh, Think Media, this idea, I don't have a good idea. Well, maybe. I think you're being uh, too harsh on yourself. But with tools like these two, if you can't yep. come up with something that then takes you on to the next step of content creation, then you really, really are making excuses now. I absolutely agree. So, Pascal, what have you got for me this week? Well, I'm going to continue the theme of webcams. Do you remember last week we spoke about software solution that can help improve the performance of your webcam and indeed take more control about the way you look? But ultimately, Roger, you and I will agree that the webcam has to already be performing well. I think the software solutions will only take it so far. But also for many of our viewers and listeners, for you and I, for many of our friends and peers out there, this idea of the virtual us and being online, doing video meetings, video conferences and more is a reality. So it may well be that it is a wise investment for many to get that webcam that's going to perform really well, then add on to it the software I mentioned last week, and you are on a winner. Now, most laptops and indeed mobile phones will do an okay job. But the, the issue that we have here, Roger, is that the platforms that we use, the future Microsoft Teams webinar solution being one of them, may put more demand on the kind of inbuilt web, web, webcam. Mm. And eventually, we're not going to be happy the way we look. So we need to kind of prepare for the future. So I've got two options for people to study and, and explore. But I want to kind of Put a quick caveat, find out whether or not who, whoever you buying the webcam from, they have a kind returns policy because yes. I still feel that with tech, it's almost like a personal choice, Roger, and you've got to be happy and it's got to be compatible with your your computer. So sometimes even a recommendation from myself or Roger may not work for you and vice versa. So option number one, which is this idea of doing working from home where light can be an issue, low light, because homes were not designed to be lit in a way in which you know, we want them to be lit. You've got the option to go for the Razer Kayo Pro. Again, the details and link would be in the show notes, but this is designed for live streaming in low line conditions. So again, you're going to get a much nicer picture. For the two options I've chosen today, the condition I put to myself was it had to be real HD 1080p and not, you know, the 720 uh, then blown up to, to be more, to be a bit, bit wider. So that's option number one, the Razer Kayo Pro. Now, you'd be familiar with the Logitech uh, type of webcam and the C920 is indeed immensely popular but very discreetly Logitech actually has released a new one called the C930E and E is important because they have a C930 uh, that is not as performing and this is designed to be the best webcam for video meetings so business solution and again what it can do is zoom in as well so maybe you are 
at home and there's a bit of you know chaos around you but if you zoom in then you could use movie magic roger and hide obviously what what you want people to see which could also be confidential information on the whiteboard and that kind of things and that could be also another option so the price will vary depending where you go but it's in the realm of 150 pounds for either of those webcam but it feels that maybe now is the time for many of us to invest in the right kit <laughs> that's interesting the razor kyo pro sounds like a, a character out of a star wars film i love that <laughs> it does a bit uh, yeah in, in, interestingly i mean i used the logitech 922 which is slight a slight improvement on the 920 which is the standard i'd always assumed that the next step up in the logitech catalog was the brio which mm. is a 4k webcam and is actually quite expensive i think the logitech brio is about Three three hundred and fifty, maybe even four hundred pounds, and I've never really felt the need to go to that level for a webcam because whilst a four K webcam might sound like it's really heavy duty and great um, uh, clarity and everything, a lot of these streaming services services like Zoom and Teams and everything are still restricting you to seven twenty p anyway. So you probably don't need that level of webcam. But if you were filming, you know. A lot of head to video stuffs for YouTube, then the Brio might be a, a worth, worthwhile. So it's interesting that there's now something in between the 922, which I have, and the Brio, which is sort of a halfway house, which sounds like it would be worth having a look at. No, absolutely. And as you have said before, whilst we make those recommendations, suggestions, by all means, try asking friends and family they have yeah. webcams gathering dust somewhere try obviously using your mobile phones try all the solutions but eventually maybe yeah as i mentioned a moment ago it's time to invest and those two options i think would be uh, in, in the right direction for you all good roger as I mentioned before, all this is possible thanks to pioneers and inventors of the recent and distant past. It is time to move on to This Week in History. In 1881, the first ever detective story is published. Written by Edgar Allan Poe, The Murders of the Rue Morgue describes the extraordinary analytical power used by its main character to solve a series of murders in Paris. Well, in 1894, the first kinetoscope parlour opens New York with five machines. For 25 cents, Roger, customers looked through a viewing window at the top of the device to watch a short film. In 1912, American aviator Harriet Quimby became the first woman to fly across the English Channel, guiding her French Blériot monoplane through bad weather from Dover, England to Hardelot in, in France. In 1930, the BBC's newsreader had nothing to say. There is no news was indeed the script of the um, 8.45pm wireless service before piano music was played for the remainder of the 50-minute segment. That sounds like bliss, doesn't it? In 1956, the first practical commercial black and white video recorder is demonstrated by Apex Ampex Corporation. The VT100 was the size of a deep freezer with an additional five six-foot racks of circuitry. In 1967, General Motors celebrates the manufacture of this 100 millionth American-made car. At the time, GM was the world's largest automaker thanks to a strategy of sending a vehicle for every purse and purpose. In 1995, British sitcom Father Ted premieres on Channel 4. In the first episode, a television programme offers to interview Father Ted the day Craggy Island hosts a fun fair to which Dougal is desperate to go to. 
Yeah, I remember this one. Now, Roger, you asked a question earlier. Well, it is. In 2005, the yeah. first ever YouTube video was uploaded by co-founder Jawed Karim. The 19-second video entitled Me at the Zoo was shot by his high school friend at the San Diego Zoo. It's actually quite scary that it's only been going for 15 years or so, isn't it, really, when you think about it? It does seem like a lot longer. And what a story. Invented in 2005, actually to be a dating site, if you, rem if you remember the story. Then it changed mm -hmm. to become this kind of what we call vlogging site, but within a year, snapped up by Google, and the rest is history. But what Absolutely. is funny about Jared Kareem, he has only he has a uh, channel with his name, only one video, which is that one, and then <laughs> a link a link to a uh, speech he gave in 2006, I think, or much later. I'm assuming he must have all the channels, or he just was. He um, doesn't do video anymore somehow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, the YouTube is a phenomenon, and you know, I, I like YouTube. I'm, I'm itch, inching my way very slowly towards a thousand subscribers, um, which is which is what you know my first big milestone. But there are people on there. I mean, I, I came across this uh, guy the other day called Mr. Beast. I don't know whether you've heard of Mr. Beast. Uh, he's got something like 25 million subscribers. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. It'd be worth trying to get hold of people like him and ask the questions. How does it feel and how do you still get excited? Because th there must be a point where you can't have, obviously, a meaningful relationship with 25 million people or viewers or subscribers. So what goes on in your head at that level? It's, I just think it's fascinating, really, because there's a difference between someone who has a few hundred and they almost know them by their first name because that number is still manageable. And then when you're into the millions, it's just um, quite impossible yeah, I mean, obviously, somebody with 25 million subscribers is going to be earning a fair, fair <laughs> amount of money from the advertising that goes with it. So there'll obviously be that motivation as well. But you're right, you know, that it, there does become a point where, you know, am I actually still connecting with an audience? Because let's face it, if you had 25 million subscribers and you put out a video and half a million people hated it, and they unsubscribe, you wouldn't probably even notice. Whereas if I put out a video with less than a thousand subscribers and I lost 50 subscribers because they hated the video, I'd be, oh my God, look at this. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Now, I'm sure our viewers and listeners will agree with me that um, you know, you've done very well with all the French words today, Roger. <laughs> but I know that you're such a, a big fan of aviation history as well as technology. That it was only fair that we should celebrate the work and the, the success of Harriet Kimby. 1912, you know, 109 years ago. Yeah, and of course, when was when was the Kitty Hawk Beach flight? That was about uh, 1903, wasn't it? So, you know, less than a decade later, we were going right across the ocean. I mean, that's amazing. So what do you make of this idea that in 1930, one day there was just no news, so they went, right, let's play some music instead of making things up? Well, do you know, when you, when you said that one out... I, my my jokey reaction was, oh, that sounds like bliss, doesn't it? But if you do think about the way that we are with 24-7 news these days, and they'll make it up, as you say. If there's nothing to say, they'll just get somebody who shouldn't have an opinion about anything, and they'll get them to give an opinion about it. And y you'll get the top of the news headlines every 15 minutes. So 
everything is just repeat, repeat, repeat. It goes right back to the beginning of the podcast when we said that people are sick of seeing the same adverts. A lot of the time, we're sick of hearing the same news on the news channels. So actually, I think a news channel today, I mean, imagine if Sky News, the top of the hour said, you know what? We haven't got anything interesting to say. So for the next 15 <laughs> minutes, we're just going to be playing music videos. I think people would think, oh, that's really good. I love that. Well, Go on, do it. <laughs> to your point, Roger, because of uh, being stuck at home, like people around the world be, uh, due to lockdown, I've watched TV during the day more than I used to. So you can track the news. And to your point, in the space of 12 hours, if not sometime longer, the news is the same, which doesn't yeah. make sense to me because if at 10 a.m. this happens, surely by 1700 or 2000, you know, 8 p.m., there has to be something else to say. Something must have, but it's the same news item. Absolutely. Like, and, 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 you know, I was slightly joking about let's just find somebody on the street and get their opinion. But a lot of the time, the people that we do interview on the news, they're not qualified to talk about the subject. They may have just been living in the same street or walking down the same street. It's it's a lot of it's just total irre irrelevancy, and all it's there to do is to fill the twenty four hour news cycle, and that's why so much of it seems the same because it is. I think for me the answer is very simple: when you just need more Father Ted episodes. That's all. <laughs> I always get Father Ted mixed up with the Vicar of Dibley for some Gee. reason. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a obvious a difference to begin yes. with, which is uh, one is in Ireland and the other is in the UK. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but don't you think it's also very clever in the writing that the very first episode of Father Ted is a one where almost all the characters are brought together into you know, the, the fun fair happening in Craig Island. So in, in the space of one episode, you get to know and learn about the different characters and, and make you forward to what's coming next. But it only ran for three seasons, which surprised me because in my mind, there, there seems to be lots of episodes, but there's only give or take 20 odd. Yeah, and another content spotlight that I nearly picked for this week, and I might pick it later, is actually a video on this very subject of TV series outstaying their welcome. And, you know, it may be a good thing that Father Ted was only around for three series because everybody has fond memories of how good it was consistently for three years. Whereas today, you know, a lot of series may even have been commissioned for two series, become successful, and then they extend it for four, five, six, you know, into the tens, into the fifteens to try to cash in on the success. And they go way beyond the original story and the original characters were ever meant to go and I actually ruin what they set out to achieve. So I, I don't mind a three season series if it was absolutely brilliant. I'd rather have that than one with 10 series where series four to 10 is rubbish. And to your point, it's probably more uh, feasible to watch them again if there's mm. 20 episodes, or I think Vicar Dibley is roughly the same as well, yeah. then I'm a huge, huge fan of Frasier. But when yes. I look at the DVD box, I'm thinking, oh, crikey. It's <laughs> a lot of seasons to get through. You know, when, when do we start or how do we start? Yeah, you, do, you, I mean, you almost have to have a best-of box, don't you, as opposed <laughs> to start at the beginning and work your way all the way through. 
Yeah, super. Uh, I really love this segment, but we need to be careful, be mindful of time. <laughs> we still have to go through two segments, one that, of course, is very special to us. But before we do so, let's move on to the creator shoutouts. Let's do that. Now, in this segment, Roger and I give individuals creating amazing content for their community a shout-out. So, Roger, who have you got in the spotlight this week? This is a quick one this week, Pascal. I'm giving a shout-out for a person that I'm connected to on LinkedIn. He's called Nat Berman. And it's only a one-and-a-half-minute video that he's recorded and posted natively into LinkedIn. Now, you and I have had the conversation on the show on Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast many times about this phenomenon that happens on LinkedIn where somebody sends you a connection request and you might actually think, well, you know, their profile looks okay. I could probably uh, be okay with this person. So you click the okay button, they connect, and then within seconds you get the direct sales pitch direct message popping into your inbox. Buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Nat has put this video together, which is a real put down of people who do this sort of thing. And it's very, very funny. He's an American gentleman and it's a very ironic video. And, and, and I was told that Americans don't do irony, <laughs> but this is this is a really funny 90 seconds. And if you have ever had, and let me let me say if you are on linkedin you will have had the direct message directly after a connection just watch this video it'll make you smile you'll be nodding your head off you'll have a laugh and you maybe feel slightly less belligerent towards those dm scammers thank you very much roger well this week i hope you don't mind it's going to come across perhaps a little self-indulgent but i wanted to give mark athquith and gary aylott a shout out they are the host of spark of rebellion a fine fine star wars podcast so spark of rebellion has been now around for two years and recently roger they published their 100th episode which i think is an amazing achievement for all form of content creation but also i have to tell you they publish their episode every Saturday, and in my house now, Saturday is a Spark of Rebellion Day. In, in fact, Denise is a huge fan now, so it was once where my Stitcher app didn't work, so we couldn't get <laughs> the episode, and she was really cross with me, and I said, well, that's nothing to do with me, it's just technology, but um, we just love you know, what they do. Um, but also, obviously, we know that, and you never mentioned Mark in the past as part of Captivate.fm, but also the many work that he does as part of this podcast accelerator but it's a lesson in doing something for fun you know taking yes. it away from work because you will practice of course your podcasting writing video making skills by doing things outside of the kind of business subject matter but also it is well produced so you know they have their segments around the news around the new toys coming out around you know uh, dates on the series as well as the movies and it's just a pleasure to be in their company once a week but also once again Roger, I just think 100 episodes. What an achievement. So well done to Mark and Gary. Yeah, fantastic. Fant I mean, it's passion about a specific subject of total geekery, isn't it? Which is, <laughs> which is why it appeals to us. So these aren't the droids you're looking for move along <laughs> super so thanks again for bringing to our attention your content creator and people if you don't know yet about spark rebellion go check out the links below now monsieur edwards it is time for film marketing yes 
So, Roger, I mean, in fairness, this being episode 37, we have mentioned movies from the 80s quite a bit, and people will think that we believe the 80s was the best decade for movie makers and film goers. But the 90s weren't so bad, in particular when you consider the work of David Fincher, and in particular today's movie, The Game. The Game, yeah. And David Fincher as well. I mean, he did seven, didn't he? It did, yeah. It did seven. Was it just before the game? Yeah. And Fight Club came afterwards. So the game is in between seven and Fight Club, yeah. Now, the game, Pascal, I remember it's one of those movies that I've not watched that often. So re watched it this week uh, to prepare for this um, episode. And it's just, it's just a great film. And I, I could see elements of Seven in it as I was watching, and I've seen Seven a lot more than I've seen The Game, but the attention to detail, the cinematography, is just incredible in this film. But it stars Michael Douglas, and I, I, I don't know what it is about Michael Douglas. He's just a, he's an absolute gem of an actor, isn't he? He's been in so many films. Pretty much every film he's been in has been a, a marvellous success. He has a gravitas about him. Sometimes he doesn't do much but look moody. I think you've said that that in the green room before we press record. Uh, But this film messes with your head a bit, doesn't it? I think this is why this film uh, is works so well. But but you're right; it's not people don't talk about it so much. So I'm so glad we chose it for today. So this idea of typically when you watch a film, you are slightly ahead of the characters. So you, mm. you know what's going on, and and you want them to succeed. In this one, you are just as confused and 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 lost as the character played by Michael Douglas. Yeah, and. It was interesting. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the films that Michael Douglas has been in. And and if you think about it, a lot of the films that he's he's been in portray Michael Douglas as probably quite a rich character. You know, he's often married. He's often has a big house to live in, flash car, incredible career. The locations are very exotic, usually in big American cities. And then something happens to that character that could totally unravels his life. So in Fatal Attraction, he obviously has an affair with Glenn Close and she turns out to be a bunny boiler and, and his, his whole life comes crashing down. And in Disclosure, um, you know, he's a, as he's a VP in a, a tech firm and he gets sexually harassed by Demi Moore. And as a result of that, his life starts to spiral apart. You could argue the same about Basic Instinct. There was the other film, uh, what's it called, Falling Down, where mm. he's the, the poor man on the way to work, gets caught in a traffic jam and ends up just losing his rag and, and, and shooting at people. And you could argue, again, his life starts to fall apart. And in each of those films, there's a specific reason that you can see He's had the affair with Glenn Close. You know, Demi Moore has sexually harassed him. But in the game, his life absolutely unravels catastrophically within the two hours of the film. But as the audience, we're not actually quite sure what the poor guy's done to deserve it or even what is actually happening. Yeah, because so 
David Fincher knows what he's doing. I mean, as much as his career as a filmmaker, a feature filmmaker, started in the early 90s with Alien 3, which has mixed you know, uh, reviews and, and, and kind of confused history, he had, he's been doing video and documentary, uh, music video, sorry, and documentary for a very long time. So he knows his craft. Mm. But also the writing. So what we have here is Michael Douglas playing the character of Nicholas Van Orton, who is a bit of a tormented soul. He's witnessed the suicide of his father. His father died at the age of 48, and this is his 48th birthday. He's alone. I can't be sure that he's lonely, but certainly he's alone. And he's trapped in those buildings. You know, I think that's in photography you mentioned a moment ago, where wherever he goes, it feels like he's trapped into this architecture yes. of modern times. It felt a little Kafkaesque to me. And his brother, played you know, superbly by Sean Penn, comes along with a gift, a game that can make your life fun again because his brother is saying to his older brother, you're boring, you know, you turn into a normal man and you may die like dad, you know, very, very soon. So Michael Douglas, you know, takes part in a game, but actually he does it in a very arrogant way. Uh, he thinks basically he's going to outsmart, you know, the, the creators of the game. And suddenly his life turns upside down, but we as the audience and, and the character... We don't know whether it's basically his brother who did uh, a dirty trick on him. Uh, is it because actually this organization is about ripping off rich people? Is it because he's making a mistake and actually putting the life of complete innocent people in danger? And you don't know until the very end. No, and it, 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 you don't know when the game starts, <laughs> when he's actually in the game. Does he step out of the game from time to time? You know, he interacts with all sorts of characters who are potentially part of what's going on, or as you say, may just be innocent bystanders. And we don't know as the audience whether, you know, they are part of the conspiracy. And and as you say, is it Sean Sean Penn that's put put this together? And and I think it was David Fincher who said there's this quote from uh, Internet Movie Database where he says, movies usually make a pact with the audience that says, we're going to play it straight. What we show you is going to add up but we don't do that. And it's just one of those movies that twists and turns. You're never quite sure where it's going to end up and, and, and what's actually happening. Now, that might frustrate the hell out of some people who watch it. I can understand that. But it certainly kept me on the edge of my seat, especially when I rewatched it. And when we think about the storytelling, the character is in danger. I mean, mortal danger several times, which is why actually you do believe that it is this um, incredibly well-organized um, scam to take away his fortune by this organization called the Consumer Recreation Services. So, by the way, Roger, if you ever think of a birthday present, don't uh, give me something like this. I don't <laughs> think you know I, w- I would I would manage so well. But... Um, you know, what, what is interesting for me and why I felt the movie was even more sinister, having watched it again more recently, is because in 1997, when this was made, we didn't understand technology, artificial intelligence, big data to the degree that we do today. But if you remember, the character spends almost a day in a kind of an assessment center so that they can design the right game for him. And I wondered whether in there somewhere there were some early signals about what data can be used for yeah that's very that's very interesting observation pascal i hadn't actually thought of that but you're absolutely right they needed to assess him to to be able to set the game up other things that we noticed was 
you know, it, it was an early-ish film where mobile phones were used quite a lot. And, you know, the, the mobile phone that he has in his car is actually quite a big one. You know, it wasn't quite the brick-shaped one that we might have seen in Die Hard nearly 10 years earlier, but this was still the era where phones were still quite chunky uh, and, and, and people were just coming to terms with them. Uh, and, I do, and I just love that sort of um, retro, even though it isn't really that, that long ago. But I think to your point, the, the movie doesn't feel old. No, I, no, it didn't it feel like I was watching an old '90s movies. I mean, I've we watched uh, a, a few recently where you think, "Oh, the music is a bit '90s," or the acting is a bit, you know, wooden. This felt like something you could that could have claimed to have taken place in the early 2000s or, or or later. And there's some really twist, good twists and turns. And every so often, you think you've got it. They throw something at you. There's a scene or something that he discovers himself when you go, "No, I was wrong all along. This is not what is happening." Yeah, and and it's interesting. I mean, there's a few there's a few faces that you recognise in the film. Sean Penn, as you've mentioned, uh, the actress who plays the waitress Christine's, uh, she's called Deborah Cara Unger, and really good actress. Who I I can only think of one other film that she's been in, and that was called Crash, um, which was a bit of a bizarre film that had. Um, um, Holly Hunter in it as well. It was people getting sexually turned on by car crashes, which is a bit bizarre. But I really like this actress, but I I just don't think she ever became really a bit a really mm. big star. The one thing that um, you know I wish they wouldn't do in movies is to always bring a clown puppet. I mean, I, I just <laughs> so you know I know there's a term for it, you know, but uh, I'm not a big fan of clowns. And when so what what cleverly what they do is they let him they tell him that he's been declined and that he's not gonna they're not gonna go ahead with the game but in fact that is already the south of the game and then outside of his house he discovers on on the kind of just outside the front door this kind of life life size puppet of a clown and that looks so sinister uh, that was it for me you know uh, if, oh, if, no. if, if i'd been him i would just find ring ring that hotline number and said that amount no i think i think trisha said exactly the same thing as soon as the clown appeared i'd have been out of there funny funny i mean we talked about um, woman in black recently and and again there was scary clowns in that as well so it's definitely a motif that freaks people out it's that that smiley face but but the fact that they don't talk but they seem to be looking at you. And of course, in this film, the clown was looking at him because that's where they hit the camera. Yeah, yeah. So there was already some early signs of kind of uh, using kind of mini technology to spy on people. So let's talk about the marketing, Roger. Yeah. Now, yeah. what is interesting, when you and I do film marketing, we talk about the marketing, we mentioned the key elements of a typical campaign, and we, we kind of really rushed through the reference to posters and teaser trailers and trailers because, frankly, they're not really that meaningful. But on this occasion for the game, the mm -hmm. best element of the marketing campaign was the teaser trailer, which is often something that is rushed even by the filmmakers themselves. But this, mm -hmm. to me, was the strongest element of the marketing campaign. Yeah, it was it was a bit surreal, wasn't it? It was a, a it wasn't scenes from the film. Uh, we had dialogue in the background with the characters, but the actual teaser itself was a wooden puppet being manipulated by somebody pulling strings, which actually is an ex extremely good analogy of of the of the film itself. And the 
so you were literally all you could do was be drawn by the audio because there was li little visual to distract you. Mm -hmm. I think the audio had been ever so slightly, you know, produced to and pushed, so it was really um, clearly uh, audible. But there was something about it that you were almost listening in, almost like a fly on the wall to bits of conversation and you couldn't quite make out what was going on but clearly the character Ma Ma Michael Douglas was in distress whilst this puppet was being manipulated and then comes obviously the title of the game with a strap line gamers wanted or is that what, what they use for the um, official tagline yeah players you, players wanted yeah players wanted and what do you get a man who has everything yeah, it's quite intriguing. Again, the film's intriguing because you're never really quite clear what's going on until right at the end. And I guess they started that intrigue build-up right from the start when they were marketing the film early on. So, so for me, that that's uh, almost the number one takeaway lesson for the, the mm -hmm. for film marketing, which is. Uh, where generally the teaser trailer is almost, you know, uh, substandard to the rest of the marketing campaign. It, it began a campaign in a strong way. And, and I do challenge ourselves as content creators whether we do enough with regard to creating the, the teaser uh, and spend time on, on the quality of the execution. Because after that, the trailer was then released where you could see scenes from the film, but very cleverly still built on that intrigue and tension. So it wasn't as if they'd forgotten about the teaser trailer. And so the trailer becomes the main thing. It was a nice build-up. Um, they did have at the time an official website, Roger, mm -hmm, which sadly mm -hmm. no longer uh, around. I do wonder whether they could leave those websites up just for people like you and I you know, I'm sure they could afford it, you know, a few pounds a month in hosting just for historical value. What do you think? I, I, I seem to remember it was an in, it was a very good website. And again, it, it drew you into that idea of, I mean, I'm sure there was some sort of gaming element on it. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it did use quite a lot of the iconography from the film. You know, again, the aforementioned buildings and the colour palette. And that feeling of being enclosed and trapped, I'm sure that was, um, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm misremembering it, but I do remember that the website was interactive in some way, but it also had the feel of the film as well. So for me, the, the other elements that uh, we do mention a lot in film marketing is the extensive use of PR which I think mm, is always mm. overlooked in modern mm. times. And, and also making sure that as a, the director, David Fincher, made himself available for many, many interviews to explain, not to explain the movie to the point where it, it was revealed, you know, what was happening, but just to kind of talk about his um, passion for storytelling, for crafting a story. But what they did very cleverly as well, Roger, is the movie takes place in San Francisco yeah. and the movie, does showcase the, the city really, really well. So, of course, you're going to get the local PR bandwagon onto it as well. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And and my wife and I went to San Francisco for our 10th wedding anniversary. Oh, really? And and there was a few places that I spotted in the film. Now, the the hotel that Michael Douglas uh, meets the, uh, the Russian guy in, which has an incredible white facade, which almost looks like a Greek um, palace, is actually the Ritz Carlton Hotel in uh, in San Francisco, and we stayed there for a few days for our tenth wedding anniversary, and, and it was absolutely beautiful that hotel. And oh, we were both sat there with it, and we always both looked at each other and go, "Oh, look there, there it is." So, Roger, 
This has been actually a great, great choice. You know, not the most famous movie uh, of, of all times, perhaps not even the most famous movie for Michael Douglas and David Fincher, but actually for that very reason, I think it was worth talking about it. But also for me, what a clever, narrowly focused marketing campaign that we can all learn from. Definitely, definitely. I think it's easy to blow the film, isn't it, in the trailer and let, you know, give all the best scenes away, give away the story. And and we often do that with our content. You know, I frequently, with my own po podcast, use the old, you know, 60-second snippet with the wavy line, um, audiogram, I think they call them. And quite often that gives away an, an incredibly important part of the narrative. Maybe we should be thinking about how can we create total intrigue by doing something slightly different our own trailers well thank you so much roger for spending some time with me this has been episode 37 everyone please leave comments suggestions and reaction the usual places until the next one make sure that your marketing is done right i was pascal Fintoni and he was roger edwards bye for now